Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. My name is Colleen. Today, we are going to be talking about friends and friendship and how to make friends. And we have guest Laura Tremaine on. She recently wrote a book called The Life Council, 10 Friends That Every Woman Needs. And this is a challenge. Uh, Colleen and I both kind of faced this because we both moved to new areas where our kids weren't there as a buffer to meet the, the parents of their friends. And we were in a new town. And Colleen and I, neither of us were working outside of the home. So that was something that was really interesting to us. And what do you think, Colleen? You know, I was a little intimidated when I first read the title because I thought 10 friends every woman needs. And I was like, can I count 10 friends that are really friend friends to me right now? And she made it very clear when we talked to her, no, that doesn't mean you have to have them all at once. This can be, you know, over a lifespan. And that made more sense to me. And that some people... Cross over certain, she talks about it like chairs, a table, and, and right. certain people cross over. Because, you know, I have, my best friend ha- has been my best friend for over 20 years. And, she, you know, we don't live in the same, same state, but she's my go-to person. But there was one thing that I was a little, I had a discussion with my husband after we did this interview. And I said, you know, one of the things she said is that your husband can't be your best friend. And I don't know, I take a little issue with that. I'm going to be real honest because maybe because I've known my husband since high school and you've known your husband since college, I put him up there with my best friend. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, you know, definitely my spouse is my person that he is my vent hearer. (laughs) He's the one that I know that if I need to just you know, my safekeeper (laughs) and, you know, that I was just like, I've got to get this out. I've got to say this. And he understands if it's just a mood I'm in or just so that, that is hard. That's hard. Yeah. Like, Uh, I don't know. Maybe if, if, maybe I'm looking at it in a different way, but I just think, you know, she was saying it puts a lot of pressure on a spouse when they have to be everything, but I don't expect my best friend to be everything either. So, you know, I just, I don't know. I thought I thought that was the only part that I was like, mm, I kind of do think he's one of my best friends. He's, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and, I, and I do. Yeah. I get. I get where she meant that right. could put a lot of pressure and expectations. And I, I will talk about in the interview about a time in my life where I had to move, and it was a big life change for me, and I felt even though I was with the person that I wanted to be with, I'd just gotten married. I was sad. And, you know, you're going to hear about that, that situation. So I get that. It, there is something for having the, for me, female friends. Yes. And, but yeah, I get, you know, the the whole best friend too thing. She talks about how that is a hard thing to be. Is yeah, it's a hard title. Friend. Yeah. So you have your, you know, so you're going to find out the different type of friends, your work friends, your friend, your password keeper, uh, different types of friends that you could you have in your life. So it was very interesting. And I think the book was also very helpful because it talked about how to make friends and how yes. to be aware of the people that are already in your life that maybe you could put a little more effort into becoming friends. But we get asked that a lot. How do I make friends with this demographic? It's, it's hard at this stage of life. So she talks about that as well. And that's another topic that, guys, we're going to be talking about at our event in October called Conversations with Prime Women. 
We are going to be talking about friendships, connection, community. The event's going to take place in Nashville at the Graduate Hotel. We have five panels of amazing speakers from doctors to CEOs to celebrities like Mindy Cohn, Leah Thompson, and Melissa Gilbert. And we are just going to spend time together feeling seen and heard and celebrating Midlife and Beyond. And we hope you can join us. Go to www.conversationswithprimewomen.com for more information. And you can find tickets at eventbrite.com. With that being said, let's get started talking about friendships with Laura Tremaine. We'll talk to you after. Welcome back, guys. Today, we are talking about friendship with Laura Tremaine, who is the author of the book, The Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. This book is so important at this time of our lives, really any time of your life. And in your your book, um, you discuss those times in your lives where making friends was difficult. Sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's harder, but this time of our life is really a hard time to figure yeah. out, you know. I, th- yeah. I thought that was a good place to start, actually, Bridget, because we get a lot of emails from listeners who say, you know, I'm now in my 50s. I'm now in my 60s. I don't have the opportunities that I used to have to make friends. And you do talk about ways to make friends in the book. So I thought maybe, I know it's a little further along in your book, but I thought this would be a good place to start. And can you talk about some of the, suggestions you give for making friends at this stage of life. So it does get harder as we get older because we don't always have the same like umbrella institution. You know, we don't have kids in school. We're not, you know, working in the same way, especially now that everyone's working remote. Um, Like all the different ways where we're used to seeing people on a regular basis that's bringing us together, like that really changes as we get older. And so you have to make more of an effort. And if you have spent decades not making as much of an effort, because again, it was sort of served up to you, your community was provided for you in some way, then it's like eye-opening to be like, oh, I have to like continually put myself out there and make invitations and try new things. And like, you know, at a certain point in your life, that's also exhausting. You don't even have the energy for that. And so it just feels like too heavy of a lift. And a lot of us are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that either. So then what happens is we stay home and wonder why we're lonely, but it just feels like too many obstacles to get over to like make new friends. Not to mention if you've had a life change where you've moved or, you know, you've like changed your career. Like I said, we went from working in offices where we were forced to see each other for better or worse to suddenly working at home. Like big life changes also mean that you don't have the same opportunities and then eventually you don't have the same amount of energy. You don't want to invest in people in the same way. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're like, you've gotten more introverted as you've gotten older. There's just so many factors, I think, that go into this friendship thing as we age. And yet we don't want to be lonely. Like we don't want to be at home friendless or like feeling like we don't have a companion to go shopping with or hang out with or watch a movie with or whatever. We want those things, but sometimes it just feels like it's um, it, it's too much to add to our already full plate. And I love in the book, you have the different, the 10 types of friends um, in there. And, you know, it, 
it was just so interesting. I loved going through it and how you you named them, the type of friend, who's your this type and who's your that type. And you also talk about, you know, the types that they don't have to be your best friend. And you're talking about the labeling of the best friend. Can you share a little bit of these types and how maybe saying this is my best friend is kind of a tough thing to do? Well, I think we think when we think of friends, we're mostly thinking of best friends, right? Like that's like what the movies are about. That's like what songs are about. It's like these deep soul sister best friends who take care of us when we're sick and are there through hard times, but also take amazing girl trips together. Like we have these these pictures of what we think adult women friendship looks like and it's good times and bad, but it's like really deep and emotional connected friends. We all want that. Of course, I would never knock that. I do in the book really outline that there's lots of levels of friends that bring all kinds of fulfillment to our life. And they're not always deep soul sisters. And they're not always going to take care of you when you're sick. You can have an acquaintance that is super fun. She brings a lot of lightness and fun to your life. You can have a neighbor who like looks out for you. You wouldn't share your deep dark traumas with that neighbor, but like, man, aren't you lucky that she is there and kind of has an eye on things if something were to change or be an emergency in your home or in your life? Like, I'm really trying to elevate all different types of relationships in our life instead of just this sort of one picture that we have of friendship and how it has to be this soul deep level relationship. Because if we have that, that's great. It's just not the only way. There are lots of ways to not be lonely. There's lots of ways for us to like walk through, you know, th- this time of our life. And I feel like I didn't even completely answer Colleen's first question of how to do it because the answer is like not the, anything we want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. We just, we hear from so many women and they're like, where am I supposed to go? The book club thing is not working for me. Where am I supposed to go to make friends? And and that's, I, I like that, you know, one of your first suggestions is really to just be aware. There could be people in your life that you don't even realize could be well, friends. Yeah, that's my first thing that I talk about throughout the book is to take stock of your own landscape. I don't feel like everyone needs to go out and make a new friend. That's very daunting. Again, that seems exhausting or vulnerable. That there are already people in our life that can be companions in our day. So that's the first thing. But then secondly, you do have to make an effort to put yourself out there in, and this matters kind of where you live, like if you're rural or urban, uh, how active you are, what your hobbies look like. I mean, for some things, for some people, whatever you're into is going to be easier and for those of us who are introverts and like to stay home a lot and have to make sort of more of an effort. But in this piece of looking at your existing landscape, it's sort of like if you go to yoga every Saturday morning, instead of just going to yoga like we do and then going back to your car, getting your coffee and going home, if you really like notice, hey, this woman is also here every Saturday, the same as I am, maybe I should strike up a conversation because this is already a piece of my life. And if you don't have something like that, that's like sort of ongoing that where you can sort of check out your existing landscape, then take something that you're already into and seek it out. Now, I live in Los Angeles, so a city of millions of people. So there's a lot of opportunity at like meetup.com. There are Facebook groups and things like that where 
you again have to seek it out and you have to show up. But in a big city, there is that opportunity. A lot of people are not in a big city. I grew up in a really tiny town and they feel like the pool that they are swimming in friendship wise is a lot smaller. I am a big advocate of making friends online. I know that that used to be very lame and sometimes it feels scary. But the thing about making friends online is there are natural filters there of your type of people. So you can find people who are also into the things that you're into or, you know, follow a band or a show or a hobby, whatever. They're sort of naturally filtering themselves, right? Like in the internet way that sometimes can build a connection that's easier than if you just like try to go to a community event and just be like, hi, my name is, you know, that's like, to me, that's more vulnerable than chatting with people online. But you know, a lot of these things are personality dependent. It's just, it comes back to that bottom line of you have to make an effort and nobody wants to hear that. We want like a magic elixir that will just deliver (laughs) friends to our doorstep. And I know in, in your book, and I'm kind of going back, and I when I listened in your book when you finished college, and that moment when you finished college, so like you said, you don't have these things set up for you, these institutional things. And uh, when I first got married, I had to move to a new town that I didn't really know anybody. And I, I was probably 23. I didn't know what was like happening. Like, wait a minute, I'm married to who I want to be married to, but I am really sad. I wasn't sad about him, but I am sad. And a woman pointed out, and she was much older than me where I worked, you don't have any friends here. And I was like, oh, that is it. Like, I didn't have anybody there that I could just say, hey, let's go for a walk. Let's go for this. Mm-hmm. And, and you also point out in your book, your spouse should not be your best friend. So can you talk about that a little bit? Well, that's where I was going to go with this too. Like sort of modern love, the modern idea of marriage, which by the way, this is modern. This is not how marriage was looked at historically when you were married for financial reasons or for family reasons or whatever. This modern idea of love forces us to be best friends with our partner. Like that's what we now consider to be romantic. But What I think happens is when you put all of your emotional needs into one person, somebody is going to end up disappointed or frustrated because your partner can't be all the things. Like they can't be a life partner and taking care of the pets and sharing a bathroom with you and wanting to, you know, belly laugh for four hours over dinner. Like it's a lot to put on to one person. And I think that we can end up feeling like wanting, you know, and and we aren't sure why, because we do, like you said, we, we love our partner. It's super fun to be married. Why do I still feel sad? Like you're saying, we're, we're sort of also told that our marriages should be like completely fulfilling. That's just not true. It's just not rooted in reality. One person, one relationship, one life, all the different things that come with marriage. Like my husband is my, the most important person in my life, hands down. Like but he's my husband. It's a totally different thing than my best friend. I also wouldn't call my sister my best friend. She's my sister. That's an elevated role in a different thing. I wanted to really like put friendship in its own place of honor and not sort of mixing it up with these other very important relationships in our life because sometimes I think we think, well, I have a sister or a spouse 
or one longtime bestie. Like I don't need anything else. If you don't need anything else, then you're doing great. But if you do think, God, I wish I had friends with a little bit of a lighter expectation or responsibility than these other relationships in my life, that's normal too. It's great to have fun friends that you don't, you know, share a mortgage with. One of the things I noticed in the book is you do list 10 different, actually, I thought it was 11. (laughs) Well, there's 10 and then there's the empty chair. What I first thought of when I looked at the list was that I have a friend that probably fills about five of those. Mm -hmm. And you say it's, I'm not listing this. So you think you have to have every single one of these types of friends filled. Cause that is a daunting task. If someone reads this and goes, I need 10 different friends for different things like that. Can you talk about the fact that some friends will fill up some of the same, cha- you know, different chairs? Yeah. A lot of the friends. So the, I, the subtitle of the book is 10 friends every woman needs. And people are so scared by that subtitle because they're like, I don't have 10 friends. I've never had 10 friends, but the 10 friends are over the course of your life. Some of them are very specifically seasonal. You're not always going to have a mentor. You know, at, at this stage in our life, we might become the mentors and we have mentees possibly. So like these are different archetypes of the type of relationships in our life that I feel like fill out this board of directors style guidance of friendship. And also many of them will overlap. So someone that was once your new friend, as I write about in the book, might eventually be an old friend. She might also be a daily duty friend. She might also be your fellow obsessive and you're both obsessed with the same thing. It's very natural for you to have one person that overlaps in many spaces or one seat and you have several people that fill that same seat. Like you might have multiple old friends. Of course, that is like very, going to be very normal type of relationship. And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. Also, when people are reading the 10 types that I lay out in the book, I don't want people to feel like this is 100% prescriptive. Like I made them up. The whole book is just to get you thinking about these different roles that people fill. So you might be reading and uh, one of my one of my friends that I write about is a password protector. Well, that might n- not resonate with you exactly whatever your life looks like, but it might spark an idea of like, well, okay, I don't really have a password protector, but I do have this and it is helping me see this friendship in a more beautiful light or like realize how much this person was bringing to my life when I might have dismissed her as a, just a coworker, or like I said, just a neighbor. And we can look and see like, oh, but actually your neighbors, your coworkers, the people who see you every single day, they might not be your besties, but that is an intimacy. The people that see you every day probably see you more than some of your besties, right? And so like sort of thinking about how you can view that friendship of, well, she's more than just a coworker. Like we literally have lunch every single day. Now I wouldn't invite her to my birthday party because she doesn't really fit into that part of my world necessarily. But wow, how lucky am I that I have a lunch partner every day? Instead of sometimes we like get in our head like, yeah, this woman's not my type. (laughs) I mean, we eat together every day. Like she's, but she's not like my total friendship style. It's like we make up all these different filters for ourselves. Like she's this kind of friend, but she's not this kind of friend. I wouldn't invite her here. I wouldn't tell her this, but 
she's this, that, and the other thing. I kind of wanted to change our mindset around the people in our life for it to be like, look what we're all bringing to one another's lives. Instead of feeling like, well, she's not, she's just a surface friend. It's, we don't go very deep or she, you know, however we do this dance in our head of not having the exact right type of friend. I'm hoping that this book is like helping you to be like, oh, but I do have people. I do yes. have community. I am known and seen. I do belong in this room. So one of my friendship philosophies, I have five core friendship philosophies that I write about in the book and one of a just go because we can talk ourselves into not going for all kinds of legitimate reasons. Financial inconvenience, we're tired. Self-care has become the biggest one is that we, you know, take self-care to such an extreme that I think that it has damaged some of our relationships. If we always say no, and, I, and I'm for self-care and I practice self-care, but if we're always saying no to take care of ourselves, what are we sacrificing in that no? So yes, we might get a couple of hours extra sleep or the sleep that we think we need, but we're also damaging our friendships if we never go. If we're known in our friendship circle as someone who never accepts the invitation or who flakes last minute or all of these things in the name of self-care or um, flakiness or inconvenience or whatever, I really encourage people to err on the side of going that for the most part, you don't regret going. For the most part, you're glad that you poured into that friendship, that you got some extra laughs, that you made a good memory, that you showed up for a friend even if it means you're tired the next day or, you know, it was a little more expensive than you were counting on or whatever. Hopefully you can balance those things out in your life, but erring on the side of going instead of what seems trendy right now to err on the side of not going, like no is a complete sentence and like all these, all these mantras that women are taking on. Again, I'm for a lot of these and I understand that this is sort of like giving women language to take care of themselves after centuries of not being able to feel like they can take care of themselves. I understand why, where the self-care movement comes from. And also, let's be honest if it is damaging our friendships or if it's contributing to our loneliness. Sometimes you got to show up even when you're tired because you want your friends to show up for you too. Like that's kind of part of the deal. I had heard uh, probably in my late 20s um, a saying that has always resonated with me, and I've said it to Bridget a bunch of times. People come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And in doing, in, in hearing that and, and kind of living with it, it does tend to make it easier to let go of friendships that no longer serve you. But for mm-hmm. a lot of women, they do not want to let go of the friendships that maybe have run their course for whatever reason. Like you were saying in the book, maybe you had mommy and me groups that were great when your kids were little, but you're not still talking to them when your kids are teenagers. Can you talk a little bit about how letting go of a friendship can actually be something positive when you're, you might be a little lonely, but the friends you have aren't the friends you really at this stage should be pursuing. Yes. Letting go of a friendship with love is like can be the equivalent of when you like deep clean your house and you're like, okay, I can breathe a little better. I feel a little better. I don't have this weight of obligation or, you know, tension that maybe this friendship is sort of brought into my life. I think most people who hold on to friends, this is going to be most of us, is out of 
love, respect for our history. We want to be a good person. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Like most of us are coming from this with a really good, with really good intentions or a really good heart and that we don't want to leave friendships behind. And also old friendships that no longer serve us, people who keep us in kind of stuck in an older version of ourselves, people who no longer align with, you know, how we believe, where we're going in life, that kind of thing. It really can be like a weight that holds us back and releasing them makes us lighter and allows us to move forward. I think most of us in middle life have had the healthy expression of this. Like we've had a natural friendship fade, a mutual friendship fade or you know, we've moved and lost touch and everybody's okay with that or whatever. You know, I think we've let this happen naturally. When it becomes a little bit harder or stickier is when maybe one friend doesn't feel the same way as the other. And it can be hard to sort of release one another well and with love and be like, it's not really personal. It's just that we're moving in different directions. It's almost like we don't even want to face that. And the other side of that is we don't necessarily want to face if a friendship has gone awry. Because like I said, we we have a history of loving this person. We share a lot of memories with them. I had a friend say to me in the past few weeks, like that we carry one another's histories. And that is beautiful and meaningful. And also that can be really weighty. That can be like, I that can't be the only thing that keeps us in touch is a shared past. That's not enough always. Um, or at least not enough for like ongoing relationship. That's enough to for Christmas cards or, you know, it's like some kind of more casual acquaintanceship. But like, I just cannot, I have to remove this obligation to check in with you and invite you and all of this sort of off my plate. And I understand if I have to be removed off yours, but that is so much easier said than done, right? Oh, like that's, yeah. that's emotional. Friendship breakups, which I write about in the book as the empty chair are hard. Yeah, that is that is really something, you know, like like you said, it's just easier, you know, I've moved and people that I was perfectly fine with, I've just moved, you know, and so we just aren't, we don't see each other or our friends were friends and that's because, or our friends, our children were friends and that's why we became friends. I, I really liked the battle buddy. Yes. <laughs> I love the battle buddy. Can you talk a little bit about that one? I feel like in middle age, the battle buddy is like one of the most crucial. Absolutely. Yes. Not that we don't have battle buddies when we're young. We do. The battles are different, right? And so in, in middle life, when marriages end, there's a diagnosis. There's a lot of things that happen in this middle part of our life where battle buddies are crucial to lean into. So I describe battle buddy in the book as just someone who's going through the same battle that you are. It, you know, when you're going through something, your friends who aren't exactly going through it can be very supportive and they walk alongside you and, and that is so important. There's something very different with someone who is fighting that same battle and you can do it with each other. You're understanding parts and nuances and the roller coaster of this particular struggle. Like they're the only ones that can understand it in that same way. Unlike someone who's just observing or trying to be loving or whatever, a battle buddy is like linked arms with you and we are going to walk through this fire together. This can be as light or as deep, at however you want to make it. You know, it can be on the lighter side of whatever a battle is, or it can be on the heaviest, hardest 
battles that we fight in in our life. And having someone there, like it's just almost irreplaceable. I also write about how sometimes battle buddies are portrayed as, like I said, you know, till the end of time, life or death type of friends. I also want to shift our thinking that sometimes battle buddies, they're only our primary relationship when we're in the battle. And sometimes when you're out of it, that was the thing that bonded you. That's the thing that, um, like Colleen said, brought you the reason, into, <laughs> the reason brought you into one another's lives for a reason that might also be a season. And then it also might be over. You will always have affection for one another. That will always be a very special thing. But I've heard recently, this is a new part that I don't write about in the book because I've heard this recently, that some people are say have said to me, their battle buddies, which are so important to them, once that battle is over, it can sometimes almost be even harder to stay in that relationship. It reminds you of the battle. There's, it, you know, it it keeps you maybe from growing out of whatever that stage was, which I thought that's sort of interesting that people, multiple people have brought that up to me is that sometimes we leave battle buddies behind, not because they're not wonderful people, but because we are out of that battle or they are, and we need to be able to move forward. And we can still think back and be like, well, this wasn't a friendship breakup. This was just a different season now. Um, and I can still have a lot of affection for you and be so glad that we were able to walk through that together. And also now we're in a different space. Yeah, it, it's almost like your battle buddy is almost like a support group person <laughs> because you are facing that battle. So you're in this support group and sometimes you might meet somebody great in that support group and continue that. Or like you said, it could just remind you of what you were going through at that moment and mm -hmm. that it's painful to go back and visit that moment. So I wanted to ask you about in your friendship, you have five friendship philosophies that you talk about in the book. And we did discuss how friendship is a to -do, has to be on your to-do list. Like it's an active thing to maintain friendships. And we talked about the spouse not being the best friend, but the one that resonated with me was the one where you said, believe the best, have positive mm -hmm. intentions, because there's so many times where I know I've done it, where I thought the worst about something. Like if someone said they couldn't go somewhere or they couldn't do this, I'm like, oh, there we go. There's that friendship. Like there, it's really hard to change that mindset. Yeah. Talk about that. I had to train my own brain to believe the best in others because I have anxiety. My anxieties will rear their ugly head. We all have insecurities that sometimes show themselves when we assume that someone isn't texting us back or declined to come to the thing or whatever because they secretly hate us <laughs> or, you know, they want the friendship to be over or they're talking about us behind our back or, you know, all the different ways that we can think that we are not believing the best in someone. One of the ways I like to talk about believing the best in others is if you have to have a hard conversation, we want to start those conversations believing the best in the others instead of assuming the worst, which is like, let's say somebody hurt your feelings or something. And you're like, well, they meant to, they, they were being mean to me. They have always thought this and it just came out with a little wine, like whatever we think, we just assume the worst instead of believing the best about them, that they said something out of line. Cause we all do sometimes that they flaked on an event or a text thread or whatever. I, if I need to have a conversation or even if it doesn't 
if it's not worthy of a conversation, but especially if it is, I want to believe the best about them. They didn't mean to hurt my feelings. They're not trying to sabotage anything. Like they, they're just being flaky or they said something dumb. If we need to talk about it, I'm going to enter that conversation believing the best. Like literally saying, I know that you didn't mean to hurt my feelings, but when you said this the other night, like I took it like this. Instead of, well, have you always thought that? Like I heard what you said. That's going to make the other person defensive. You know, it's going to cause a bigger rift than needs to be. We have to believe the best in others because first of all, we have to believe that the friends that we have chosen are good hearted and aren't trying to hurt us. And more importantly, we need them to believe the best about us because we are good hearted and we are good people and we mess up sometimes too. And so when we believe the best about them, it is hopefully reciprocal, but like you were saying, you have to train your brain to do this because I kind of think it's like human nature to go to the worst case scenario or to be very, um, you know, defensive of ourself, protective of ourself and want to just sort of cut off that friend because she said something a little off or she never texts back or whatever, instead of believing the best about her. Yes. And you also talked about making lists of things, of reminders. And Mm. could you talk a little bit about that too? Because I need that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this is my first friendship philosophy and I developed this one because I kept dropping the ball on my friendships in the same exact way. So I feel like I'm a good friend. I feel like I'm an open-hearted friend. Where I kept dropping the ball was I would just, I was the flake in some of these scenarios that I'm describing. I was the one who wouldn't text back. I was the one who wouldn't check in on someone when they were going through something hard. Like it just wasn't natural for me. I have two kids, a busy career. Like I mean, we're all busy. Like, I'm not busier than anyone else. It's just, I have a lot going on in my mind. And it would not come to my brain naturally to remember to check on people. I would go weeks with my just head down doing my life on autopilot and, and not really connect with friends. And I had multiple people in like kind of the same year, people who didn't know each other, sort of call me out on it and be like, hey, my dad has been ill for months. And you knew that our family was going through something and you haven't checked in on me. And I was like so sad that my actions were not reflecting what was in my heart because I held this friend in such esteem. I loved her. I did know she was going through a hard time with her family. And she's right. I hadn't checked in on her. I had to start writing things down on my to-do list, just like my work to-do list, just like my like mom you know, family life to-do list, I have a little section for connection. Because if I don't write it down or put it on my calendar, I will not remember until a week later that you had a surgery, that you were up for promotion, that, you know, you were having a hard conversation with your spouse. I don't know, whatever it is that friends share with one another, I literally write it down. And then I have to sit down, like when I'm doing my to-dos and like check in with people. How did it go? Now this friendship philosophy like is only going to strike a chord with you if you also need this. (laughs) Like you were saying, Bridget, like some people are like, I don't get it. Like you don't just think of your friends. It's very natural for them. It's just not for everybody. And maybe as we age and we're also like maybe a little more scattered of like, yeah, if I don't write it down, I sure as heck won't remember it. But it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean I wasn't holding you in my heart. 
I had to find a way to actually have my actions match how I felt about my friends. And it it involved a to-do list. Some of these things are just very personality driven, but I hoped throughout the book, I was giving different examples of like, if your personality works like this, or if you feel like this, maybe this will help. When you're talking about positive intentions, your intentions were good so that you were showing that you cared. And, you know, you describe a lot of your friendships and you give hints. And I think the section on making friends at our age, especially, is really great for women to get the suggestions. So the Life Council, 10 Friends Every Woman Needs. Thank you so much, Laura, for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. This was so fun. Y'all are fun to talk to. Thank you guys for listening today on this very interesting topic of friendships over 50. We hope that you got a lot of information and some, you know, you were a little energized to go out and maybe sit at Starbucks and check out the world a little bit. It's small steps. Yes. We don't have to dive into the deep end of friendships, but I do also like that you talked a lot about online friends because a lot of women are in locations where it's very hard to get out and meet people. So we thank you, Laura Tremaine, for your expertise and for your book, The Life Council. You can find that wherever books are sold. Again, check out our event coming up in October, Conversations with Prime Women. Tickets are now on sale for early birds, so catch those. And we will talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.